Hey, hey, this is Mila Grant from the Cultural Bunker. You are listening to WBTV LP Burlington 99.3 FM, 99.3 WBTV.org to stream. Hey folks, my name is Infinite and for almost a decade I've had the privilege of working as a community organizer on issues related to education equity. Many years ago, one of my favorite community organizers of all time, Bob Moses, warned that in our country we've been running a share crop of education, meaning that the education we usually wind up receiving in our public schools is largely predetermined and based on the family we're born into. And if we carry that forward into the information age, then we'll have serfs in our towns and cities, just like we had serfs in the Delta, Mississippi during the industrial era. This is the huge challenge facing our country, he said. This prophecy by Bob Moses is now upon us. Welcome to Back to Freedom School, a deeper dive into education equity in the state of Vermont where we'll be discussing issues like school funding, literacy, labor, community schools, and the various ways that white supremacy culture shows up as one of the root problems in our public education system. Thank you for listening. Mugabo, please pronounce your name for us. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you, Infinite. Uh, no, you, you, you got it, brother. Mugabo. Now, there, there is that syllable that is like the soft B, wo versus bo. Um, but I both, both are good. And the full name? Yes. Thierry Mugabo, Willingi Mana. Thank you. And uh, so please tell us who you are uh, and just a little bit about how you got to where you are today. All right. So right now, I would say, goodness, I am... A father, recent father, though it doesn't feel recent because, you know, he's two months now. Samuel Kizito Basinga Parsons is two months now. Mm-hmm. But of course, there was the nine months that preceded that uh, where I felt like I was preparing. And then there was also the multiple attempts um, before that where we had two miscarriages trying with my wife. And and so that like that that I remember when we first had our first miscarriage and and Rhea, I just like felt the shift, felt the shift of becoming adults. You know, we 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 we've kind of we had kind of crossed that threshold where you spend most of your youth trying to not get pregnant, and then when you try to get pregnant, I didn't I didn't realize it was gonna be that challenging and kind of and heartbreaking. And I grew, I grew, <laughs> I grew up. Uh, yeah. Um, so I'm a father. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I consider myself an educator. Mm-hmm. I was a teacher for three years at Winooski, teaching middle school and high school, teaching mathematics, science, and engineering. I'm not in the classroom, and I am still an educator in different ways. I'm a community organizer, and uh, I'm a software engineer. I'm currently looking to get back into that world of work. Um, yeah, um, so that's like kind of my identities right now. Uh, other relevant identities is that I'm, I'm a Rwandese American. I was born in Rwanda, uh, Central East Africa, Kigali in the capital city. I was the child of kind of the first generation of uh, Rwandese people who had grown on farms. My parents grew up on farms, tending livestock and farming and wealthy with land, like land. Like this is a pre-capitalistic world, you know, How they have the land that they own, they have their ways passed on generation from generation generation to generation of how to live from the land 
and do it in a sustainable way and not like hmm. the way the settler colonialists in the United States kind of ravaged the land and then created plantations. You know, yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah, used plantations to kind of they, they weren't just ravaging the ravaging the people. They ravaged the land where they, they, they extracted from from it so much so quickly without any restoration like they were doing to the human beings that they kind of chewed yeah. that you have right like they kept having to expand west because they were kind of killing the land and now you have places that are deserts and there is like land like water issues so my my folks who grew up on a farm uh raising having lots of goats and and uh cows cows are wealth in my country when they my, my parents got an education and then came to the city they they kind of were leaving something that had never had not been done before, you know, in our culture, where with, you know, urbanization, you know, you, you have movement where you you're not raising your kids in a village with your grandparents and your uncles and aunts there, where uh, the form of education the, the form of education was the sharing of stories that happened when people were gathering together and the elders had, you know all their clan around them to kind of pass on the wisdom from how we live together to how we live from the land in a way that we take care of it and takes care of us you know yeah. so my parents were the first to kind of get cut off from that there are many things that my mom tells me she never got to learn because she wasn't at home with mother she was at school huh. right and that's like the kind of the severing of culture that that uh, happened starting with my parents and then kind of with with me but anyway, we we didn't get we, we didn't get a chance to kind of go back. My mom still maintained land. They still you know, but even though she was working in government as a in the Ministry of Finance and Education, she she was waiting for us to grow up a little bit so that to be easy to travel and take us back to the land, take us back where we came from, meet our family. And then the the war, the genocide happened, and we fled as refugees. Uh, we fled to Congo. Uh, then we were there for three years. There's a whole book there that can be written. Then we fled to Zambia for three years, a whole book that can be written there. Mm. And then we came to the U.S. having sought asylum. Uh, and I guess another important piece of my identity is that my parents are from both tribes. It's like having a biracial couple in in, um, in the U.S. I was going to say antebellum, antebellum America, you know. But like when was Virginia versus Loving? You know that that kind of thing, like that's the situation of a Hutu with a Tutsi, um, mm. which are also social construct. Actually, the Hutu and Tutsi, what we had before, are our clan names. My dad is a Musinga, and my mom is a Monyiginya, and because of that tribal difference, it meant that we didn't have a home. We didn't have a home with the Hutus. We didn't have a home with the Tutsis, and so my parents began a program requesting the international community to give us asylum. And the U.S. was one of the places that gave us opened its doors to uh, to us and we landed in Buffalo, New York, where we got treated like shit because we were black and refugees and uh, for all the, you know, the charity system cared, uh, they wanted us to live in shanties or live in um, kind of abhorrent situations, send the kids to public school so that this, the district would get more money and send our parents to a factory so they could be exploited for their labor, kind of modern day slavery, but like refugee economics. I see it in Winooski, you know, so there's a whole book that can be written there. You know, I went through, my mom was vigilant. My mom had, we have four, there's four boys in my family and one girl and, and my sister, my, my, my baby sister was now 30. And my mom is a brilliant woman uh, because she had a brilliant mother who had a brilliant mother. She was raised by her mother. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 
she without probably she would she uh, if you'd asked her then i don't think she would be able to articulate why she immediately understood that her boys and her daughter like her black kids were now in the lion's den mm. and surrounded by society that wants to eat them up throw them in jail and exploit them for everything or kill them you know uh because like she was such a shark around us we felt she had to kind of create her own enclosure around us to kind of keep us from doing anything anything other than going to school maybe participating in sports as she learned that that was important but then she quickly got us in like a prep in a, in a prep school she quickly got us in a prep school a catholic private uh, college preparatory school that was almost entirely white like, like the privilege of the privilege in buffalo. this is in buffalo this is in buffalo new york so now the language that i have for this is that my mom quickly understood that the way to have safety for her black boys was through proximity to whiteness was putting blazers on us ties you know slacks looking like anisha's kids in any way in every way except the color of our skin <laughs> man and so so through that we went to kenisha's we did well i went i ended up you know my brothers my brother my other brother went to notre dame university in south bend i went to to stanford in palo alto california the one after me went to Boston College in Boston. The one after that went to Boston University. And then my, my sister joined me at Stanford, right? This is all my mom, my mom's doing with our part, with our work too, but like my mom's doing, Yeah, you know, cause I don't know how many refugee families are able to keep their families intact and, yeah. and have their four boys, you know, have none of them end up killed or in jail. Hmm. Um, wow. So, so two things really quick. I was born and raised in Brooklyn and I had the opportunity to visit the continent of Africa and the, and, and it just happened to be in Rwanda. Right. I always forget, <laughs> I always forget that you, you had that opportunity. Yes. Um, and so that needs to be a whole different conversation for you and I, because I would love to spend some time with you there. Revisiting Kigali from you know from the African American perspective, mm. um, you know what what is it that they how how is it that they they um refer to white folks? Oh, Abazungu. Mazungu, right? Abazungu, yeah. Right. In Kenya, yeah, Mazungu probably this the this the the in Swahili and some other Bantu languages are Mazungu. That's Swahili Mazungu, like one white person. And then in in Kenya Rwanda, yeah, Umuzungu. Yeah, he's a one white person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, 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 so <laughs> I, I've been black all my life until I went to Rwanda because uh, they were calling me Muzungu. <laughs> no, you're kidding. You're kidding. I'm what? not kidding. I'm were, not you, kidding. were you more light skinned than you are now? What? Right. No, 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 no. <laughs> no what? They, they just do. You know. They you're just, kidding. I'm not kidding. You're man. kidding. How? Kidding. Hey, we we gonna save that for another. <laughs> I think I think by those standards, I might be Muzungu by now if I went back. <laughs> you know, show up speaking English, you know, but they speak English there. Oh man, okay, all right. Yeah. So so tell me something. Do you remember how you learned to read? Do you remember? Mm, how to read? That's right. Um, I remember first grade. I remember first grade. You know, I think that was probably the first time when. You know, they gave us, so I would have been six, you know, or so. I remember having these little blackboards, like the little handheld blackboards, and we had like a little kind of chalky carbon thing to, to write on them. 
-hmm. And in front on the blackboard, the teacher had lines for calligraphy because we, you know, and so we were, did you say how to write or how to read? And write. Both, they, right? Okay, so they work together. That's right. So with, with, with the writing, right? I remember it's like, ah, you know, A, I, E, U, O, you know, I remember just like reciting and like the first three years, the first three years in, in Rwanda were in Kenya, Rwanda, mm. right? And then starting fourth grade, things had to become serious and official. And that's where French began. And then I think the instruction was in French thereafter. Tell us what Kenya, Rwanda is. So yeah, Kenya, Rwanda is, is the language of Rwanda. Okay. So even though we have different kind of clients and different like tribal groups, like three, you know, two dominant ones, we all speak the same language, Kenya, Rwanda. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's a blessing, you know, that was a blessing to, to have our own language, to read the stories from our culture, yeah. you know, to learn like praise poetry and spoken word and like things, there was a rich cultural education in those first three years. Now I only got first grade and some of second grade before the war came and my brother had gotten third grade, but I remember him coming, putting on a sash, which is like, it's like, it's, it's like putting on a, this umitero in Kinyarwanda is like it's like a cloth you put around your waist. You you tie a knot on the shoulder and then it goes to the side, and then you have a cane or a staff, and then you know and then like usually you 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 tell stories like spoken word performing a little bit and you're moving as though you're dancing like this fluid movement you know if you if you look up traditional one this dancing um, and you watch it you kind of see what I'm talking about. You mean like at your wedding? Like I, like I dance with my mother. That's okay. right. Okay. That's right. You know, and I had my cam, my, my wedding stuff. So, and so you, you have that and you, you tell stories and these are long tales. And, be, but because you're saying it in this like spoken word, rhythmic way, you can remember book, like books, like you can, you can, it's a, those, these are books, mm -hmm. you know? And so, so before, before school even ever was a thing, we, we you know, we would have been, we would have learned songs, we would have learned songs and, and folk tales. Yep. And so we had a lot of words, like you can pack a lot of, just like we, some families read their kids here. And this is something I was realizing. It's like, we don't have bedtime reading in Rwanda. You know, you don't, you know, we're not reading books to your child, but you're telling them stories. And some of them are stories that you just tell them in Migani, just like just stories, folk tales, you know, and some of them are Imnivugo, which is like the praise poetry that is like perform performance spoken word. And some of them are just many like, songs, traditional songs. Some of them were religious songs, you know, that kind of were melding Rwandese culture with like the Belgian, German, I don't know, Catholicism stuff, you know, but still in Rwanda. And because these are traditional things that adults sing, these are big, these are words, they're big words, you know, these are traditional words, you know, mm -hmm. and you're learning all of them before you know what many of them mean because you're singing them. You know, so 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 that's that's a powerful way of just downloading words in your mind, you know, and then like the process of writing is just getting them out. It's like, oh, you already know this word. This is what it looks like. You know what it sounds like. Here's what it, it looks like on paper. So, yeah. So like the, the like that storytelling, that cultural piece was a, like I've not been I, you know, I've I've been thinking about this now that I have a child, you know, and and trying to hit my map on for some stories and some songs, you know, kind of, I can't remember mm -hmm. and realizing, huh, okay. Like this is like a powerful information transfer, mm -hmm. you know? And one of the reasons why I called my son Kizito, the, the reason why I called my son, my middle name, his middle name is Kizito is because I know that the, the Kenya Rwanda that I learned in my family 
once we left it was not it was like just family domestic in Rwanda wow. you know and then with it's not complex it's just like the language you need to wash dishes and clean the house and like do your chores and stuff it's not academic it's not cultural it's not folkloric and with being refugees and 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 in you know and our lives being turned upside down my, we didn't have time my parents were exhausted trying to keep us alive we didn't have time to kind of engage in all that and so we kind of lo- lost some of that and then we came to the US we went to this school we didn't we lost some wor- some words i'm sure some of a lot of the bloody still in our heads but we never really got to do the performances and stuff and you know and keep that alive and and so one of the things like that i want for my son is realizing that since i don't have a lot of the words and i still don't know what they mean this young man kizito is named after Kizito Mihiko, who's a Rwandese singer songwriter. Okay. You know, he was just an activist and he was classically trained in Rwandese cultural music, uh, songs and like traditions. He also is also classically trained pianist in mm-hmm. the western tradition. And so and, and so he played the organ and played piano just like he was kind of one of those African geniuses like the rest of us and he he has these beautiful songs that uh, it's beautiful listening to it because I can I can just hear all the words even though I don't know what they all mean. Yeah. And so my hope is for my boy to listen to his namesake his songs and learn the language that way, you know? Uh, I'll be playing them for him and that's how we're both going to keep the language alive for ourselves, you know. That's beautiful and and you are your son's first teacher, you and in and, and your wife. That's right. Um, and then he will have many teachers to come. And if he grows up here, they might not, they may not look like you, right? That's what I'm... Did, did you have other uh, Black teachers coming up in, in, in the States that you can remember? Now, once we got to the States, other than the place where we lived on the east side of Buffalo, which was like kind of the place that suffered from white flight in the 50s and 60s, kind of place that had been huge, but there was now kind of isolated and and had had uh, economic recession for the longest time we went we went to an all-black school which was like a catholic school that was shutting down like it was it's like a building that used to house hundreds 500 kids i don't know maybe more and when i was there we probably had like like maybe i don't know 50 kids you know so the place and and they had to heat up the whole thing so that place was shutting down and indeed it shut down like after i left but I did my eighth grade there and we had black teachers, you know, but in a school that was falling apart and I think the teachers are falling apart. But thereafter, when I went to Canisius, the, 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 the college preparatory school, you know, where 98% of the kids were white, all the teachers, all the teachers were white. So I never had any black teachers in high school. And then when I went to college, I think I had maybe two black professors, one in the humanities, but like those introductory humanities you take when you first arrive to college and, yeah. and they don't know you and you don't know them and like, I never and I never got you know it's like I may as well, they may as well have been you know so that, so that was one and then and then I had an African teacher in my electrical engineering that I chose in the major that I chose but he was this Nigerian who I felt like I never really got to build the relationship with him you know when I, I remember going to his office I was excited to have him it's like here's a brother who's made it you know and but when I got there I think I found a brother who was trying so hard to be to, to fit in white society and be white that he didn't see me or appreciate me for for who I was and I was I was disappointed and kind of a little heartbroken that he was I mean I was in his class was his class was, was, was it was one of the, the challenging classes uh, and uh, I definitely struggled with that class it didn't help that when I when I got there I yeah yeah I didn't I didn't find someone who <laughs> probably you know yeah and it was probably worse because I, I went in with an expectation right you know yeah do, do, do you 
any insight into why there's so few black educators in our K through 12 public education system? Mm. And then insight. Uh, so one, one is Brown versus board mm. that kind of screwed up our communities, black communities, right? Where mm. integration was one-sided. We, you're saying, mm, like you're thinking, brother, you know, that's you just <laughs> I, I I forget about you know that was 1954 you know um, that was, yeah I, I do forget to uh, apply that historical context to where we are sometimes yeah no that was yesterday so so yeah because be, before integration so called integration you had some thriving black schools kids taught by parents teachers who taught their who taught their mothers and now and their aunties and now we're teaching them and knew them you know they couldn't get away with anything and they knew you know seeing through themselves because they, they were seeing their mothers and fathers so you had you had all these you know even if it was just being scraped just scraping and you had you know black professionals you know like that was probably one of the you know, if you're black and educated, that was probably where you could teach yeah. in, a black, in a black school. And then Brown versus Board uh, killed us on two fronts. They dragged our, past our kids to white schools where no one wanted them there. And they were underestimated. They weren't seen. And uh, a friend was reminding me of uh, a study the other day, a study that was done where they took two groups of kids. One was like a high performing kids. And then another group was like the low performing kids. Mm -hmm. And then they gave them to teachers and then they kind of, they, they, they flipped the information on the teachers. They, the teachers who got the low performing kids were told that this is the highest performing kids. These are brilliant kids. Right. And then the, 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 the class, the, the, the teacher with the, low, the highest performing kids were told these are low performing, these are underachievers, right? And then I don't know how long the experiment ran, but you can guess what the outcomes were, right? All of a sudden, the things the things had, had, had flipped so expectation is every is like it's not everything but it's a lot right yeah it's a lot for some reason and it sucks i think it has a lot to do with the education system that we have where the teacher has so much power hmm. the teacher has so much power that what he thinks of you sets a bar for you as a child right uh, and I see that. I, I see that a lot. Uh, I saw that a lot in Winusi when I was teaching. So 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 our kids were sent to schools where they, need, they didn't want them there. Uh, and then when they were in the classroom, you know, the expectations were on the floor for, for, for those kids. But uh, thankfully, our kids, most of our kids did not, whatever. Like I was gonna say, some of them didn't need that. Like they didn't need it. They knew who loved them back home. They were just there to get their education. So that that's one, and then of course, our, our, most of our black teachers were laid off. There, there is a book. There is a book that I want I want to circle back and 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 talk about a little bit. Mention on this particular topic. So, but like that's one. Why are there so few black teachers? Brown versus board. That that really screwed us. Screwed our communities. Um, and then, once once you had that, once you had mostly white teachers because all the black professionals had been laid off and were starving. Communities were kind of disintegrating because now that source of income was taken from them. Right. Yeah. It's like, I think like, it's so many layers yeah. that like, like Brown versus board kind of, you know, like killed our communities. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, once you had that, once you had mostly white teachers, one of the most powerful things that keeps maintains the status quo are the teachers union, the teachers unions. <laughs> I don't know when seniority made it in, but once you have seniority, the, the, the last hired, right. And if you're trying to diversify, this is you know staff. The, you know the last hired 
If there's going to be any, any black people going to that field, they're going to be the last hired and they're going to be the first fired. Right. Right. And yeah, that's, that's, and, and you see that at Winooski, it's just, that's just the way it is, yeah. you know, and that's, that has maintained it. Um, and, and, and then I think everything else we can talk about layers of systemic racism and, uh, that, that, that maintains, that maintains the status quo, but, uh, yeah. I think those are two things maybe that people can take away if you're listening to this. Brown versus Born, <laughs> the teachers' union, the reason why we have so, so few black teachers. Yep. And so now thank you for that because uh, that doesn't, so seniority in, in, in all fairness doesn't just exist in teachers' union, it exists everywhere. Ever, yeah, right? everywhere. That's uh, right. You know, it, it exists in the, in the cooperative that I'm a part That's of. That's right. Sure. Um, yes. It's a good tool for fairness, usually. 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 Um, right. And, and yeah, we but we should unpack maybe why not so much in, in this and, case. Yeah, I listened to Candy's book, How to Be an Anti Racist, two times, and I think I've retained maybe I don't know five percent. Mm-hmm. Now it's probably all I'm, <laughs> all I'm walking, all I'm walking around with. Yeah, but like one of the things that he said was if you arrived at an outcome with racist discrimination, mm-hmm. the only way out of that outcome is through anti-racist discrimination we Mm -hmm. need to discriminate so when it comes to seniority Mm. if you're going to lay off the last people to show up they cannot be they cannot be the people who were hired in the first place to bring black people and brown people into the force there should be discrimination so that it should be the last (laughs) white middle class person who was hired that that would be the person to go you know, the, the brothers and sisters who were hired, those should should be exempt from those seniority rules and those maintainers of the status quo. Mm-hmm. Um, and so is this the, thank you for that. Is this, so is this conceptually how we get to equity? Because that's, that's you know, yeah. what, how we're framing, you know, I mean, if, if you know, I, we, I can't get away from a conversation about equity, right? You know, yeah. whether it's racial equity right. or, no, oh, God, damn. That, that term equity, that term equity, I've seen admins, principals, superintendent, mm-hmm. teachers use equity to say, first of all, one, to confuse it with equality. Everybody gets the same thing. Otherwise, it's not equitable. Okay. Like, they're still saying that today, Awinuski, and I'm sure across the country. So, like, that's messed up, right? Like, that's messed up. That's one. Confusing with equality is like baseline, just ignorant. The second piece, the second, the second one, people who are saying equity is like everybody gets what they need. Okay, that's great. Um, but if for most people who hold that definition, if I were to say discrimination is part of equity, I think people would would kind of squirm in their seats and say, oh, no, discrimination is a bad thing. It's like, no, 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 it's not. Racist discrimination is a bad thing. Mm. You know, anti-racist discrimination is a necessity for equity. Gotcha. Right. And that's not that's not that's not my that's not my turn. That's not my verbiage. That's you know, Ibrahim X Candy gets the credit for making it that clear. Right. You know, and like sexist discrimination was you know, was how we got to you know inequitable injustice. How we get out of that particular flavor of discrimination is through you know, kind of feminist discrimination. Yeah. No wonder they're trying to ban that book. Who's trying to ban that book? Who's trying? <laughs> ah, ah. Hey, you, 
I've, I've made it. I've made it on the list. Yeah, on the list of books to burn. Yeah, yeah, no wonder there it is. You know, I, I think um, you know, you 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 cross right into you. You are naturally moving through this conversation um, in ways that I. Did not expect so. Oh no no no! But this is where you come in, my brother. You you have the questions. You ask the questions. <laughs> this is the dance. This is the dance. <laughs> Tell me what what kind of things have you seen? I mean, you you've seen some things that are actually working well in our public education system. Mm -hmm. uh, can you can you hold? Can yeah you hold yeah I up? can. Right yes. So one of the tragedies. And I don't mean to make this about Winooski, but I think it's best to talk about specifics and talk about what we know, and then people can extrapolate for themselves, right? Agreed, agreed. One of the tragedies of Winooski is that, is that like that, like Act 77, like the, the, the move towards personal pathways, flexible pathways, right? We, we, we can't have equity without that act. Mm -hmm. We cannot have equity without that, without that act. Because when you have to make up seven years of like being three, four years behind where you need to be in literature, in mathematics, and you know, math literacy, and like or you know, reading and writing, you cannot do it with a one size fits all kind of or through the the old tools of we're gonna differentiate instruction, we're gonna do this. Yeah. You still end up with like this thing takes a year. This is this curriculum for this subject is a year. Yeah. And with that mindset, there's no way, there's no way that our kids who've been underserved for so long will ever get to a place where by the time they graduate, they are ready to take on what's next. Right. We'll never get there. Personalized learning can be such a ticket, you know, because it can, it can light the fire under the teachers. That piece right now is the crux of the fight that's happening at Winooski right now. We have a new curriculum director who is trying to bring back high expectations through standards. Hmm. One of the things that happened with personalized learning is that people understand interest, interest-based learning. A student is gonna read a lot faster if they're reading things that speak to them as human beings, things that they're interested in, things that you know resonate with them for many, for whatever reason, for many reasons in many different dimensions. Absolutely. That makes sense. Okay, so let's do interests. So everyone has different interests. Okay, so now the teacher is running around trying to do that. How do we measure progress and how do we ensure that students are like students are being challenged? Because like, hey, I wanna I like I like drawing. Let me let me draw every day. Like let me let me, you know, try and figure out how mathematics can fit me, can fit into my love of drawing and try to figure out how literature can fit into my love of drawing. And I'm sitting here with my arms crossed, like, hey, yeah, educate me, but like my way. Yeah. Okay. And so the teachers can be dancing out there trying to figure that out. It's not for lack of a better word, like the, the, you know, just like even the, the expression, we need to have standards. We need to, we need the way of knowing that progress is being made. And, and it's not just we, the royal adults and the teachers and the, the student needs, needs to be able to know, okay, if I want to become an author, what do I need to develop now? If I can't articulate that, then I am screwed. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm, I'm just being led blind, just like traditional school, where you just trust that they've given you the credits you need to graduate. And if you check off those boxes, you go to college, you know, but once we've thrown out that, you know, like that system is flawed for many different reasons. Like once that has been thrown out and now the students don't have a clear understanding of how, of, of like the skills that they're trying to learn, then personalized learning becomes something where a lot of terrible things can be hidden and students can go to school for four years and graduate without being able to read you know 
Um, so let me let me reel this back, right? I, I I began talking about the crux, the crux of the fight happening at Winooski, the struggle at Winooski right now is how to bring back high expectations because I've heard from many students and I've seen for myself that there is a culture of low expectations at Winooski. I'm sure there's a culture of low expectations for students of color everywhere, just period. There also happens to be some data to support Winooski students being referred to uh, Vermont adult learning. I mean, in high, high numbers. numbers. Yeah. High numbers. I mean, you don't get a... I mean, yeah, we had the class, if you get a class of 100 plus kids in sixth grade, and then the graduating class is 37 kids, like what happened to all those kids? Right. You asked me, it's like, have I seen things that are working? And then I started with, you know, it's like the tragedy. (laughs) 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 The tragedy. And it's a tragedy because Winooski has tried, has invested in trying to figure out proficiency-based learning. But trying to do that with a culture of low expectations, and I know a lot of teachers will take this, will take this hard and maybe take it the wrong way. Uh, our curriculum director, Michael Apolito, is bringing in, like, we need to do NGSS standards, like the national, what, like the next generation science standards. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, and it, it's a like K-12. And when you look at what students are supposed to be doing in the last two years of high school, and you look at the standards, the proficiencies that we had, mm. It's not good, you know, because you look, you look at them and you think, how the hell can we possibly get our kids to do this? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, and so there's a lot of pushback because like, no, no, those standards are too high. It's like, no, 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 the, the NGSS is not too high. Mm-hmm. What we have, what we've had maybe has been too low, right? It's like, well, our kids can't do that. And there it is. That's the low expectations. Like our kids can't do that. What other kids are doing it everywhere. Winooski has embraced proficiency-based learning has is trying to figure out because it, it needs to be a struggle our schools are not the best at change management because we lack good leadership period from the top down we lack good leadership to manage change to do change management right because change management is not just about the mind it's about the heart and we lack leaders who talk to the house speak to the heart and spirits of people they want to treat us and treat their teachers like you know like they're managing factory work- workers and, wow. and wow, that's just, just terrible that's amazing. Um, interesting that you use heart because that is the acronym, right? <laughs> Winooski has heart. No, Winooski doesn't right now have heart because heart is not about being timely. That's not that's not what heart is about. I like the statement like Winooski has heart and I have the t-shirt, but like on my t-shirt, I've gone and used my uh, permanent marker and I was like, timely? Question mark? What? No, not timely. Like, like find something else for timely. T- t- like what could T mean in heart? You know, T could mean true truth truth how about truth how about truth h h what could what could h mean human humane human you know the reason why it's a tragedy is that if my kid was going to winooski high school mm-hmm. my kid would would graduate and there's some who do would graduate winooski prepared to go to name name your top school go to my alma mater stanford go to go straight into medical school like a kid can go to winooski and come out top at the top of their game and have 40 credits of college how many credits how many credits can you can you can maybe have 12 a 12 semesters 24. right so you can you can live with almost two years worth of college credits if my kid was going there why because i understand the higher end yeah i understand social capital i have social capital i understand the system I can I can get my mind around the complex the complex the stupidly 
complex kind of system of Unuski. And it's like edu education is complex. The system is complex. We, we don't need to dumb things down. Like the interface with the people, with the families and the community, that needs to be accessible. You can use a laptop, you can use your iPhone without understanding how that thing came together. Mm -hmm. You can use an app without understanding how to build it, right? So people should be able to use education without having to understand the guts of it. We are professionals. We understand how we put it together. Like people don't need to be educators, you know, to, to be, they, they, don't, they, they don't need to understand Act 77 in order to help their kids through the system, that's right? right. But, that, but right now that, that's what it is. Like that's what it is because it's like, you know, there's a, there's a whole profession of user experience design in technology that ensures that you have a, a good user experience using a complex application, like filing, filing taxes. Right. Now we're almost at the point where anybody can file taxes. I, I, I'm not a tax attorney, like I, I you know, I, but but I can I can file my taxes, mm -hmm. right? Like it should be the same with education. So that's the tragedy. Okay. It's working because we now have the ability to get a really good education. I, you know, people who with influence, people with privilege, can access good education at Winooski, mm -hmm. and that privilege and access doesn't have to be like they're like they're recent immigrants. Immigrants who've been no, not recent. People who've been here for for a while, right? Who maybe found the program like Upward Bound. And okay. Upward Bound plugs you right into, take maximum advantage of the, the system. But if a student who doesn't make it into something like that, there should, we should need an Upward Bound for students to take advantage of Onuski, but as it stands, we need it. So that's working. Like that's working that a student can graduate with 40, like 20 credits of college. Like that works. We, okay. Vermont is leading the path for that. Okay. But that's not accessible to everyone. Right. And the people who can't access it are the historically underserved people. Thank you for that. Beautifully yeah. put. And so how would you go about validating that schools are engaging in meaningful, active family and community engagement? So, I mean, so I can, I can tell you maybe before we even get to the how, I can tell you like, like how I would assess it if I'm, I'm evaluating, like I'm evaluating if a school is doing a good job, yep. I would pick any parent at random and I'd ask them, what, what, do you, what does your child need to, you know, say, what does your child need to, to graduate? Mm -hmm. Can you tell me? And where are they now? What are their strengths? Like, what are they doing well in and what are they struggling with? How do they access more supports? Have you been empowered with the information to be able to support your child. And if, par if a parent can't tell me that, and right now, if I render assessment at Winooski, or if I render assessment in the underserved communities in Burlington, maybe even be uh, uh, South Burlington, you know, I, if, if I run that assessment in any school district with, the, with people who've been historically underserved, I think that the, the schools would flunk. Hmm. The schools would flunk that evaluation. Right. So how do you get there? Well, we can talk about that. Like it's a whole program. It's like a whole program development. There's a whole program development towards achieving that goal where every parent is empowered with the, 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 the information to be able to support their kids. Even if I just showed up three months ago and I don't speak English, I should still be able to do that. Right. If you had a magic wand, how would you go about ensuring, uh, let's say, let's use the word accountable or accountability for a school's promise to his community, right? You know, Winooski has this promise yeah. to his community. Right. Their promise is all students will graduate from the Winooski School District, uh, college and career ready at the cost supported by a majority of the Winooski community. I hate that part. 
<laughs> and then and then let me let me keep going. Winooski School District uh, students will lead healthy, productive, and successful lives and engage with their local and global community. Our students are our future. Mm. Mm. That's some promise. That is some promise. Yeah. Right. And and for for the the 120 kids who started sixth grade at Winooski and the 90 who didn't make it to graduation because you know some of them maybe just switched you know they switched parents moved away and but like how many of those left because Winooski was not working for them to those that promise is not being kept how would they go about making sure that we can hold Winooski school district accountable to that promise I've been in conversation with you and other people, like Katrina of the uh, BLMGB, talking about how there can be no accountability without relationship, without a, a relationship, mm -hmm. without relationship, right? Because otherwise it's just screaming into a void. It's like calling out, you know, without an ability to call in. And I mean, my, my wife is, is, is a public health, public health professional, an MPH, carrying kind of program manager. Mm. And there is a skill set to creating a program. Yeah. And one of the first things that you do is, is having, you know, it's like having theory of change, mm -hmm. right? Having, you know, having a clear logic model mm -hmm. where you have outcomes that are well delineated. And, you know, how are we going to know if we're successful? And I, I've already, I feel like that's usually the hardest part. And I've kind of laid it out. So parents need to know. And, and then they, it needs to be easy for parents to, to be organized so that so that they can certainly have a relationship amongst themselves and, and have a relationship with the school district so that they can hold they can hold the school district accountable. That will be part political education for families to be informed, to be informed, just that to be informed. Mm -hmm. And then it would be about like looking at how we can flatten the hierarchy at Win at Winooski mm. so that people at all levels are accountable to the community and not just like pleasing their boss, which is what we have exactly here. We have principals who was kind of responsibility begins and ends with their meeting with the superintendent. So there is flattening, there's flattening the hierarchy. And this is to kind of have these positions in this hierarchy cede some of their power to the community structure yes. so that like, there is that shared power. Because it, it can't also just be a hierarchical relationship because it, you know, that, that also doesn't work. And you, you and I have talked about this where we, you know, we need leaders. Principals are good. Superintendents are good. But they can't be, they, they, they ain't no be all, you know? It's like, they can't be the dictators that they are right now. They're empowered with way more power than they know to dispense. Yeah. And when they dispense it badly, there is not enough accountability. Having each principal govern through a committee of parents and community members. You, 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 talk, you, you had suggested that idea. Yeah. You know, having like governing committee that the principal reports to and answers to, that has power to hold them accountable. Having having you know the superintendent is already serving through like through a board. Now, to what extent does that board reflect like, reflect the community? You know, especially since the democratic voting right now has silenced many people in the community who are being served. I remember once looking and I shared these numbers with my students, where eighty three percent of the electorate in Winooski is white, right? But fifty two over fifty like fifty it must be fifty six percent now of the kids at Winooski are black and brown. Right. So, so the the, the so-called democratic process is not going to provide us the representation that parents need. 
so now now there was that charter where parents can maybe vote and 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 like our governor in his infinite wisdom vetoed it and but i think that the legislature was able to override the vetoes i don't know where that is standing right now but even even once that happens maybe parents some parents are not going to participate in a political system because of the trauma that they've experienced in their country maybe there is a there is a need for a different democratic system specifically around the school district where parents can participate without feeling like they're voting for voting against you know the pro-police person you know yeah just so the board doesn't work unless it's really democratic for the school community yeah certainly the 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 majority white voting electorate in, in winooski to the, these are their taxes these are their taxes and they also need to you know the, 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 their votes should also be electing the board for sure you know but it's such an outsized power mm-hmm. that it's not democratic it's not representative and, and i'm not sure how much uh even with a a, a board that was representative of the community community i'm not sure how much power the board has over the day-to-day that the realities on the ground mm-hmm. um you know in terms of how the school will function the educational experiences for young people you know right. as it play out and what you reminded me of is of with the hierarchical nature of you know our school system is you know the battle that we're fighting in the city of Burlington around police accountability and this uh, uh hesitancy to share power um, when it comes to these really important you know decisions to make but I don't want to get sidetracked yeah I just wanted to pinpoint that for uh, another conversation that we you know we can have down the line what else should we you know maybe just start and not finish uh, right. in this conversation you know where do we go next recently I've, I was able to be very hands-on with supporting one of our kids that the criminal punishment system was coming after you know because of like the, the Winooski and Osborne game mm. where right there was that incident and where the the, the team was just coming again you know coming coming again uh, on our on, on our team with racial epithets calling them n-words and monkeys and like terrorists uh the game was aggressive like the Enosburg team well usually the offending the, the initial offenders uh kicking tripping our players and then there was an incident an accident where one of our players ran into the heads clashed with one of the Enosburg team and you know he's the, the white kid uh just fell to the ground uh and they punished our player by having as a captain sitting out two games and then the mother was not satisfied she wanted him to be prosecuted criminally and so we came together we came we came together supported our our, our young man who is just he's just one of those brothers young brothers who i look at and i just want to give him all the love and support that i can because i know he is going to serve our community you know he's just like the most thoughtful caring and brilliant young man mm. you know and surely of course this is who like the system is going to come after um so but i was able to just spend hours with him and and his community and his uh, team and meet the parents and and i realized and his sister was giving me shit, <laughs> saying <laughs> I, I heard i heard you i heard you abandoned our kids and i was like man i had a baby i needed, I needed to think oh the, the africans are brutal it's beautiful though that's that's how she gives love and i was like you know, I had one of my own, you know, I had a baby, I needed to take, I needed to take some, some time, you know, but of course that's not, that's not the only reason I, I kind of left because the, you know, the environment was keeping me from doing the, the work that I wanted to do. And so while I was there, I was able to tell her, I was like, look, you know, if I was teaching, I would not be here. 
I've just spent several hours here just hanging out. This is not something that I, I was able to do when I was teaching. Mm. Anyway, uh, our sister Katrina pointed out that it, it, it's taken me leaving the teaching quote unquote profession in order to drop in and, 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 and teach in a way that I've always wanted to teach. Mm. Let's make no mistake, this whole experience for this young man was, was a lesson in the Vermont style, United States style, uh, racism, systemic racism. For these young brothers who've been here for a couple of years, this was an eye opener, you know, and I was able to be there for them during this time. You know, as I was I'm just thinking back to what I shared about how I learned how to read by getting a cult the culture downloaded into my mind and body and my heart through stories. Yeah. And thinking about how we can bring that back. Think yeah. about how we can bring that back, you know, because the, the our society here has continues to sever. It, it just cuts off our, our old, our aging, our, our elders, they call it the aging population, like it's a disease, but like our elders, right. you know, and like there's this disconnect where kids are spending all this time trapped in, in four, you know, be, between four walls and the, 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 our elders are also trapped in their own four walls, separated. That's right. You know, you know, there's of course thinking about the, the, the incoming families, you know, I'm thinking about the, the Congolese families, the, the grandmothers who have so much to offer and are not kind of integrated in there through school, through the thing that we call school. But I'm also thinking about the African-American uh, grandmothers who are raising kids and putting them in school and all the stories, all the stories of, of struggle, of, of, um, of, of survival, of, of, of music, of beauty, you know, you, you, you were telling us, you're telling me about, right, like being at your, your dad's uh, funeral and seeing like, the mix of grieving and, and joyful celebration, singing and dancing and kind of yeah. all of that. All of that, uh, bringing back all of that to, to our kids and um, kind of that being a critical component of what we think of as, as education, as, as learning. So maybe, so maybe that's that, like, how do we bring that back? How do we, because we have all that, right? All that, all these stories are right in the, in the neighborhood, but they're just cut off. That would be a cool thing to spend time talking about. Yes, it will. I mean, yeah, teaching and learning um, through that experience. Yeah, it just, it just, it just, it, that just woke me up. <laughs> <laughs> right on, right? <laughs> that just woke me up. Gabo, I'm so grateful to have you in my life. <laughs> Thank you so much uh, for taking the time out away from your family. Uh, I hope we can do it again. I hope we can find the time to do this again. I, I feel like if we can get into a rhythm, of uh, connecting with each other and sharing with, with the world um, and really continuing to uh, be, be creative around how we teach and learn. I, I feel like this is uh, a place I can call home for, I hope for generations, you know. I, I hope, I think my folks have been in some ways uh, have been you know, refugees in our own country. Right? That's right. And the way that we have uh, sort of been uh, migrated around uh, the world has been a little bit more ad hoc, uh, less formal. And, you know, it, it has uh, made it difficult to host generations of family in a particular place. Mm -hmm. um, for um, a significant amount of time. But I will say our ability to develop and create 
uh, informal kinship networks has uh, sustained us, you know, over time. We've been able to develop, I've been able to develop family here and grow family here and nurture family here. And so uh, I'm so, again, I'm so, so grateful that uh, I have you to uh, connect with and, and as I grow my, my own family here in Vermont. Right on, brother. I'm, I'm grateful. I, I, I have been so lucky. I've been so lucky to have just so randomly ended up in Vermont. <laughs> uh, just so randomly ended up in Vermont and connect with his brother Liam, who connected me to Kyle, who then had like brothers burgers and beers where you showed up and you were kind of an interesting fella. You know, you didn't say much. You weren't saying much, you know, and I couldn't figure you out. I did not, I could not have predicted that, you know, that you and I would have, would have gotten to get to know each other so well and, and, and get so close in, in, a, in a way that I feel like we're close, but like, it's just the beginning, you know, mm-hmm. because we both have like little, little kids, like little babies, you know, and it's like, there's a lifetime of those kids growing up together, you know, and that's a beautiful, you know, I have an each and my wife and I probably have an each too kind of want to spend like two years living in Ghana or like maybe spend like a year or two, you know, in Rwanda again to kind of be there and maybe be on the land that my parents, my forefathers and mothers kind of grew up on. But I feel like I've, you know, I married an American woman, a beautiful American woman, and her home is here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and mine is in Rwanda. And I feel like our joint home has been here. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it's felt easier to build community and plant roots here, but it has. So I'm also just grateful, just big picture grateful, and also just very grateful for this opportunity, you know, for knowing you and you being the kind of brother who facilitates things like this, you know, makes space, holds space for things like this to happen. So thank you. you. Make it easy, bro. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dance man it's a dance you, you know that's what i kept i kept coming back to that analogy and it's it fits you know it it, it fits so well because it's like when you're dancing with someone who, who 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 moves who likes to move i feel like man i'm not doing anything this is too easy but they also feel the same way it's like oh i'm not doing anything this is easy mm. you know but like but if like if you switch that person out for somebody who is not so you know, then it's like, oh, I have to do I can still make this look good, but like it's gonna be work. Right, right. <laughs> you know, but like we're both moving fluidly and it's beautiful and it's like, you know, it's fast and slow, it's just what it needs to be, but it's because I don't know, we're both willing dancers, you know? That's right. That's yeah. a, that's a, that's a great place to wrap up. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us. If you have any questions, thoughts, or suggestions about anything you heard, please feel free to reach out. You can contact me at infinite at voicesforvtkids.org. You can also visit our website to learn more about our work at voicesforvtkids.org. Shout out to Mike Device with the Thomas Instrumentals and Athena with all the technical support.